Welcome to the Secured Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Matranga, coming to you live from the ASAP Security Studios. Today we have Scott Rice um, from Santa Fe. Scott Rice is uh, the spouse of Flo Rice, who was injured uh, in the Santa Fe shooting. And uh, Scott has a tremendous story to tell. He's one of the unsung heroes of Santa Fe that um, doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. But uh, today we're going to do that to him, uh, do that with him, and and uh, give him that uh, platform to talk about uh, his experience in Santa Fe. And uh, so, Scott, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about who you are, your um, relationship. You know, Flo's your wife, and you know what part you had in the Santa Fe shooting. Well, you know we talk about in our lives now. There's before and after May 18th. Right. And so we're, uh, and I say we because now, um, you know, when I talk, I'm not just talking for myself. You know, it's to represent my wife. So right. um, we're different people than we were before. You know, mm -hmm. we had aspirations and we had futures and we had uh, things in our lives going on that <clears throat> were put on hold and stopped, basically. So, um, I'm not the same person I was before my 18th. And Flo's definitely nowhere near the same person she was before my 18th. Um, and it's not about us anymore, you know? It's about um, what we can do now to keep this from happening to someone else so their lives aren't disrupted and upended like ours are. Right. You talk about wanting to uh, continue to fight and be an advocate, right? I'm assuming advocacy is, is important to you. Yes, but I know it's important to you. I've, 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 you know, talked to you multiple times. We've established a relationship over the last five years. Uh, you and Flo and some of the other victims of Santa Fe uh, have been a very integral part of establishing new policies and mandates and laws within the state of Texas. Do you mind sharing with us some of the uh, things that you guys have been a part of regarding uh, new legislation here in the state? Yeah, from day one, um, we started the week of the shooting. So Flo was in the hospital, the governor, the lieutenant governor, all of our legislators, uh, senators, congressmen, all came to visit her. So they packed her room and they all promised us that they were going to change everything and take care of Flo, that she didn't have to worry about anything and that um, they all gave me their numbers and they all said, call me anytime, and we'll work together, and we'll keep this from happening again, and we're so sorry it happened, and um, we're, we're here for you. So I did. I kept all their numbers, and I called them. And a couple days later, um, I got a call from the governor's office and said, would you be interested in coming down to my round table and telling, about, telling your story and, you know, being there to uh, help us get through this, you know, explain to people what happened. And Flo um, was definitely, you know, on drugs at this point for her pain right. and said, well, okay, go ahead. You know, so it was hard to leave her, you know, and um, she had a, you know, a good system of support at that time. Right. So um, I made the trip to Austin and, uh, but she did tell me if you're gonna go, Here's what I want you to tell them. So she gave me a list of things that she wanted them to know and she wanted to change. So that it wasn't just to go tell, because at that time we had gone radio silent. Nobody knew Flo was in the hospital for a couple of days. We didn't talk to any media. She didn't want any, any circus around her, right? And nobody had heard her story. Nobody heard what had happened. The, for days, you know, the school didn't even know where she was or what really happened to her. Mm -hmm. um, so I went and um, I took Officer Banda with me, and he's the one who uh, picked her up and brought her to the car and put her in there. Um, <clears throat> and so I got him recognized by the governor as a hero that day. It's very emotional for me because I relive this, you know, this every time I talk about it. Right. And Johnny and I become really close, you know, He's our hero, you know, and we're, we're like family, you know, 
the three of us now. But I told the story of that morning what happened from the time she called me, you know, to the time that she got out of surgery. And, and then I was there to recognize Johnny. That's what Flo really wanted me to do, not to just tell her story about her, right. you know, about Johnny. And it was about what we needed to do and the failures that had happened for substitutes and why three substitutes were shot that day. Man, that's, uh, that's uh, tough to think about when you, when you put it into perspective. What's the likelihood of three substitutes being shot on the same day, just weeks after there was an incident that was reported and then a follow-up conversation through an official letter to, I'm assuming, the, at least the principal of the, of the, the yeah. school. Um, I'm not sure if it made it to the superintendent at the time or even to the school board, but in that letter, you know, Flo says that you know, uh, it was addressed that substitutes did not have the same access or authority uh, as a full-time employee, um, and then nothing happened from the time that that letter was written to the day of the tragedy, and then three substitutes were the ones that were two deceased and one injured. Um, you know, that's uh, pretty ironic that it happened that way. Yeah, you wonder, is it just ironic? You know, it was it planned? Is it, did, was it part of the master plan? I, we don't know why did he target that room, right? Right. He didn't have art class. He had an English class that day. So he went there for a reason and he planned this. And so I think it was February 28th was the, um, what the we scare. call the scare, yeah. which was a full lockdown, you know, full, everybody came just like they did on the uh, May 18th. So it was a big deal. Parents were in an uproar. Um, so it, it was just like a shooting, just there was, a, what was called in was a shooting. Somebody had discharged a weapon outside. So Parkland had just happened. And the governor actually had sent a letter to every school telling them to be prepared and to uh, make sure they're ready just before the lockdown. So you had Parkland on the 14th, you had a, the governor put a letter out, then you had the scare, then you had the letter from, I think, Ms. Tisdale about, well, I don't think she wrote it, but um, they knew that it was a possibility, right, to get right. prepared. And all these, what Fro talked about, you know, to you before about substitutes <clears throat> being all in one hallway, you know, while teachers are out for training or for, you know, awards or whatever they're going to, um, nobody really had paid attention to that before. So when I spoke to the round table uh, and told them what Flo said about the keys and doors not being locked or that janitor has to come lock you in, you know, mm -hmm. and um, the phone issues and, and not having an intercom even in the room, just all these issues that they don't even realize that it's a huge hole in their security program. Uh, yeah, I think most school districts in the state of Texas or even in the nation, that's, that's one of the things that they don't even consider. They don't think about that, you know, and that's, that's a very uh, important part of everyday life on a campus is having to fill the needs uh, of, of, of teachers that are out, like you said, for vacation or sickness or whatever it is. There are people that have to fulfill that need and those are substitute teachers. And they, tr they provide a tremendous uh, asset and, and they're a tremendous resource to our schools. And they're often overlooked as, oh, they're just a substitute. That's yeah. not the case. These individuals, if it were not for substitute teachers, a lot of these school districts could not even function. You know, uh, if you look at, you know, after COVID um, and even to today, uh, most school districts, that's one of their biggest hurdles is filling these classes uh, because there's such a substitute shortage. Um, personally, just like full-time employees and, and professional staff and educational environment teachers and, and, and uh, other professionals, I think they're just underpaid and they're underappreciated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, if we want to encourage positive, uh, 
you know, environments within our educational environment, we have to start paying people what they deserve. Schools have become such a hostile territory, um, not just in Texas, but throughout the nation um, because of multiple societal factors. And so, um, you know, getting back to some of the legislative efforts. Um, so you went to the round table, you met with the governors, or the governor, and you met with some of the, the, our legislators. And SB 11 was proposed in 2018. I helped, uh, or testified in support of, and helped uh, provide some content to that. Um, talk to us about SB 11 and the changes that were made. I wanna give Flow credit for it, because it was you who went to the round table and spoke on her behalf. Um, to change that for schools uh, or for substitute teachers in uh, the state of Texas. So talk to us about the legislative efforts and, and what's developed since 2018. Well, uh, so initially after the round table, um, Dr. Bonin and his wife came to our house and um, he took notes on everything Flo had to say about the, her experience that day and about the failures of the system that keeps substitutes as like an outsider, right? They're not respected, they don't give full authority, um, but yet they're there for your kid. And they have relationships with those kids, right? A lot of them, right. ha people talk about Miss Tisdale, they the kids talk about Ann Perkins and how they call her Grandma Perkins. You know, and they call them Grandma, they, they love those people, right? So they're important. And so Dr. Bonin wrote HB 17 in the house and instituted all the things that Flo had told him. Uh -huh. And, and origi originally uh, HB 17 um, was taken in by SB 11. It was kind of like yeah. the wording was just added to it and then right. some of it was left out. So there's a lot of things that could have been in it that because it was the Senate bill and the House bill was so big that they combined them and left some things out. Right. Which you've already talked about, sure. which is, um, you know, holding them accountable and the three years and um, it, we thought it was a very positive thing. We went and testified in Austin, you know, we met and talked many times on wording. So it was kind of like, you're very involved in this. It's like something you're very proud of. And you're like, okay, hopefully this stops the next shooting from happening, right? right. And that's what we believed. And that's what the governor told us was gonna happen. This was gonna change everything and it was, we're taking it seriously. Yeah, but we know that that's, that's empty political promises. And I'm, that's, I'm, not, I'm not picking on Governor Abbott, I'm just picking on politicians in general. It's, it's uh, empty political promises that continue to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, politicians that uh, continue to get sound bites and uh, of what needs to happen from subject matter experts like myself and other subject matter experts. They use that as political leverage uh, and they pick and choose what they want based upon what's their political narrative and that's the facts. Yeah. You know, people can argue with me all day long about that, you know, um, but that's the facts. And I said last week one of the greatest threats to our children in schools is politics. You know, you've got the left talking about defunding, you've got the right talking about arming more teachers. Um, you know, and I want to get into that conversation here in just a little bit, but um, what I want to get back to is the February 28th scare. After the letter was written that said that substitute teachers were not uh, prepared, and then May 18 happens, where your wife is shot five times, right? Six. Six times. Um, has anybody ever been held accountable? Uh, after that letter was written that said uh, that substitute teachers were not prepared and then now you have two now deceased substitutes and then your wife shot six times, was anybody ever held accountable for not taking action? No, in fact, they got awards and they get promotions. So, um, you know, business as usual, they're, they're not gonna hold anybody accountable. Nobody's gonna um, go down with the ship as they should, you know, so like in the Navy, and a ship runs aground, what's the first thing they do? They get Fire the captain. Captain's put on shore and somebody yep. comes in and takes over for him, right? So that never happened. Right. And so what we did was we started, uh, it took a while, probably two months before 
Flo got out of uh, enough rehab, you know, where we could uh, put our heads above water and see what was going on. Right. So there's a lot going on in the school district. You know, people protesting, people raising hell with the, the administration, you know, wanting change and wanting metal detectors and fighting over things. And then we got involved and um, we went on the campaign trail with the governor. You know, we went to a couple of stops with him and got photo ops and we're supporting him. We got the shirt, the Abbott shirts, you know, photos with all the other you know, family members, of survivors, family members, you know, and um, thought we had a relationship, you know, until we found out SB 11 really didn't have any teeth. And, you know, he told us that school districts, they don't have to do this. And we're like, what do you mean? So, you know, what are you talking about? The governor passed a law, signed it. Now the schools need to, you know, put all this into play, right? And when we found that out, I started calling those phone numbers they gave me, right? And all those people that I met with in Austin and um, started saying, hey, what's going on? What, what am I hearing? You know, this isn't, well, you know, it takes time and, you know, it's going to, each session, you know, a little more gets added to it. I'm like, I don't understand. This is not... A, thing that I'm, you know, accustomed to. It's like, you right. said it was going to be a law, you said it was going to be this, and I'm finding out it's not. So Flo and I and Rosie Stone went to Austin and met with the governor. He, you know, took my call and we set up an appointment. I think it was around Christmas uh, 2019. And we went to the mansion and um, he took notes of all our concerns on napkins. And um, we told him we wanted a third party investigation uh, just like they had in Parkland. We wanted a commission. And so he goes, okay, that's a good idea. So we'll make that a priority and we'll get you a commission. So nothing happened and I kept calling and like, you know, then they stopped taking my call. And then numbers changed or whatever, you know, and so I lost my contact in the governor's office because we were calling them out because nothing really meant anything. So that was a hard lesson for us about Everybody always said, don't get involved in politics, don't trust politicians, and I trusted them. I thought the word meant something to me. Right. You know? Well, there's some, there's some good ones. There are some good ones. Yeah. Um, a couple. Know, and I don't know the specifics, but we do know of some good ones. But uh, switching course a little bit, um, you know, at the intro, I said that you were one of the unsung heroes of Santa Fe, uh, that you don't get the recognition that you deserve. And so, you know, one of the stories that I don't think that the general public even knows about is your story regarding Flo in that instance when she was wounded. Um, you know, we commonly refer to the Santa Fe shooting as the forgotten shooting, yeah. you know, because it happened and then, you know, uh, everybody was in an uproar, everybody was moving, then COVID happened and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, we, we reference it reference it as the forgotten shooting because I truly feel like it's been overlooked. Um, and like I said, one of the one of the things that I want to discuss today is your role in Santa Fe and how you helped flow. Um, and so can you elaborate on that? Like uh, when you first got the call, um, who was that from? From Flo herself. From Flo, shot six times. She's calling you. Yeah. And can you explain how that happened and, and what that was like? Well, she gets up early, you know, to get to school early. And that morning, just like any other day, you know, she's in a hurry to get there on time. She's running late and she can't find her keys, which is happens from time to time, you know. And, and um, I said, don't worry, take a truck, you know, I'll find the keys and then I'll bring the car and exchange it with the truck, right? Don't worry. So um, she goes to school. I go downstairs, find them in like two minutes, of course, and I text her and, you know, her text back was, I feel so dumb, you know, it's like, don't worry about it, you know. So that possibly could have been like the last text we ever made, right? And um, I go back to sleep and the phone rings, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm out and I didn't get to it. Um, and then uh, she calls back and says, I've been shot. She hangs up. Did you think you were in like a dream at that point? Did you, I mean, did that seem real? It does not seem real. Right. No, you don't ever expect someone you love to say they've been shot, especially at a school environment, you know? Right. This is not 
postal. You know, somebody you would think goes postal, you know. Yeah. Uh, workplace violence was not, you know, an issue, right? So <clears throat> she calls back and says, I've been shot. I'm behind the school or I'm in the parking lot, I think she said. And um, she hangs up again. So I didn't know that she's laying there on her phone under her face in the grass, in the grass trying to be quiet and not wanting to draw attention to herself. I jump up and uh, start to get dressed in a hurry and, um, and she calls back. I, I can't remember how many times you know, she called like this and I'm getting a little bit more information each time. And um, our daughter was uh, downstairs getting ready for school. And as I'm hurrying out the door, I'm thinking, do I tell her? Do I not tell her? Is this the last time, you know, if she goes, the last time she sees her mother alive, you know, or does she die and never sees her again? I'm like, you know, I'm having to weigh that in seconds. And so I tell her, you know, get in the car, your mom's been shot. And um, I could hear in the background when Flo would call me, shooting. And at that time, nobody knew there was a mass shooting going on, a school shooting. So I assumed that she had made some student mad, you know, gave him a bad grade or, you know, somebody had a, something out for her and it shot her in the parking lot. <clears throat> so. We jump in, uh, I had a Mustang at the time, and I really liked that car. Uh -huh. And I knew, you know, that would get there quick, right? Yeah. So we jump in the car, and I think we live maybe five miles from the school, and there's, you know, a handful of red lights, but um, I got there really quick, you know. As I'm entering the highway um, off the street we're on, uh, I come over the railroad tracks and then I see, you know, cars going by, cop cars going by. And so I jump out in that and uh, start heading towards the school and come up to major intersections and just keep going, you know, and there, there's no stopping at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, by the time I get there, they hadn't locked the campus down yet. I mean, this is like fluid. This is happening like right now, right? Right. And the adrenaline is just flowing like you can't imagine. Like, I'm just thinking about flow. I'm not thinking about what, what's going on. Why are all these cops going, you know, to the school? And uh, I entered the front off the highway uh, where parents, like, pick up and drop off. Right. And teachers park in the front, like in the visitor parking, and then there's some teacher parking. So I'm looking for uh, the truck, and I'm looking for her. And... Um, I don't know how I was able to get in and I wasn't stopped. Nobody looked at me funny and like, who is this person, you know? Uh, I guess they assumed I was an off-duty officer maybe, you know, responding and um, I go through that parking lot and I don't see her and I'm heading toward the back and I go around the side and um, I'm just like, got, got it to the floor, right? I'm looking all over the, and um, she calls me again and um, she, she tells me, I think I'm in the back of the school where the buses drop off and I, you know, so this is my fifth child to put through the school. So I'm very familiar right. with the school. Right. And uh, so I'm, it, I, I know where she's at now. So um, <clears throat> I come around the corner to the back of the school and um, I get up behind the art rooms and there's two officers there and they're waving me away, you know, get away, get away, get away. And um, so I leave the back of the school, go out to the street out back and come in another entrance where the buses come in. And that's where the uh, cafeteria is. Um, and I come around the back of the cafeteria where like they have a loading dock area and there's dumpsters and stuff. So I kind of park there and I can see flow back toward where I had came from. And uh, I see her laying there and I see Ann Perkins laying on the sidewalk, and I see the two officers. And uh, so I jump out of the car and start to run towards Flo, which there's still, you know, active shooter going on right at that You can time. hear gunshots at that point still? Yeah, th yeah there's still gunshots going on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to run to her, 
and they're waving me off, waving me off, you know, to go away. And uh, I have my phone, I'm talking to her, and I tell him, that's my wife, I'm on the phone with her, she's alive. And he's, he tells me, no, she's not alive, she's dead. And I said, no, she's alive. But we know at that point, no one had even checked to see if she was dead. They just assumed that. Right. Yeah. You know? And I'm not faulting those officers, but, you know, that, that goes back to what I say is that we have to get to a point in law enforcement where we're starting to render aid, um, you know, and to their credit, I mean, we, I haven't heard their story, but we are assuming that they did not check her vitals. I mean, but we know they didn't check her vitals because she's alive. She's talking yeah. to you on the phone. So, um, okay, let's go ahead. Yeah, so talking to Johnny later and uh, Johnny Banda, who um, I have on eye contact with, is telling me this, um, he was told by the other officers he approached that they were both dead. Mm -hmm. So he's getting secondhand information. So he didn't bother checking them, right? Right. And uh, of course they hear the shooting going on inside and they can't get in because the back doors he closed and they self-lock. <clears throat> so, Johnny reaches down and touches Flo, and um, she opens her eyes. He's like startled, you know? And he's like, put your arm around my neck. And uh, instantly, he just bolted towards me. And it was like time had accelerated. Mm -hmm. He came at me so fast, and it was like supernatural. And all this is going on, and it's like, I have no idea what's going on. Really, you know, how was I able to get into the school in the first place, into the parking lot, and drive around in a bright blue Mustang at 100 miles down in the parking lot without people thinking I'm part of the problem? Right. And then, you know, they locked the school down very quickly after that. While this is going on, they're locking the front down, they're locking the back down like they're taught. Um, so he puts her in the car, and uh, that's when I could see that her leg was just you know, facing the wrong direction and just, uh, I didn't know what was holding it together at that time, right? So she gets in the car and she notices that her daughter's with me. And in her story, she tells that, you know, while she's laying there, she's thinking to herself, thank God my daughter's not here. She hasn't come to school, it's her late day. And so that gave her comfort until she gets in the car and finds out, I brought her to an active shooting. So um, she was able to add, you know, give comfort to Flo in the car and to hold her. And um, Flo's bleeding. Um, it's no doubt in my mind that Flo would have been the 11th victim because she would have bled to death in a matter of time. If I wasn't able to get there that quickly, and it's a God thing, right? Because there's no way you can script this. You can't say, right. oh, well, you know, they'll let me in. I'll just walk around the school and get my wife and walk out of a, ma of, you know, a mass shooting. We know that after you Valley that they're not letting people in, right? Right. They'll tackle you. So um, there was no stopping me at that point. You know, nobody was going to keep me out. One way or another, I was getting her out of there. And luckily, she wasn't in the school. She was outside. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, she definitely wouldn't have survived if a minute later I had got to the school. So right. luckily she had her phone. Luckily I answered the phone, didn't have the sound off, right? All these things had to transpire just the right moment for it to happen. Right. Let's talk about, so you're, you're, you're in the <clears throat> bar with y'all's daughter. You're essentially mirroring law enforcement as they're approaching the school as well. I'm assuming that they assume you're probably an off-duty officer as well. As you approach the school, how many officers do you think were there? Could you even remember? I mean, was the was Highway Six uh, blocked up at that point? I mean, was it uh, was it? I mean, it seemed like it was pretty. From listening to you, it seemed pretty easy to get into the parking lots. Um, do you recall how many officers were already on scene as you were arriving? Not very many. So there was, of course, none blocking off the entrance. And there's still, school had just started, right? Like minutes, 15 minutes after the bell rings, mm -hmm. this has all transpired. So there's actually people still, like, they're drop-off kids. It's, this is happening. 
as the call goes out, there are officers that were off duty from other cities or DPS that responded like, off, you know, in plain clothes and uh, not in patrol cars. So it's happening so quickly that um, I'm coming in with them, like one of them. And right. so I'd You're just say- just blending in. Just, yeah, there's okay. probably a dozen okay. upfront cars, yeah. you know, and there's one in the back. Okay. They had no idea it was happening in the back. And um, I'd like to see if there was cameras. I'd like to see it, you know, what really transpired, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm sure that at some point you'll be able to get that, um, you know, hopefully, for, um, you know, for your own good, just for peace of mind, knowing that, I mean, you obviously did the right thing, but... When you left, so you picked up Flo, Johnny takes her to the car, um, and then you leave. As you're leaving, have the number of officers doubled by that time? Yeah. Or what did that scene look like as you have her in the vehicle and you're leaving? I'm assuming you took her to UTMB. Is that where you took her? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I took her to uh, League City UTMB. League City UTMB. First, yeah. Um, so when we leave the back of the school, of course, kids had already been flooding out of the school, and they're hearing the gunfire. So we know from um, people's documenting this and telling their stories later, you know, what was going on. Um, people were videoing it on their cell phones. And so they blocked off the back of the school with um, school vehicles like uh, the lawn crews and, you know, uh, the officers that had re responded from the other schools had blocked off the back. So there's kids everywhere out by the, the houses in the back. There's um, a couple of cop cars, but mostly um, it was kids and it was family members. There was so many people had already heard and had come back there and were trying to get close, you know, and they're trying to hold them back. So our exit was really blocked. And so I had to drive through the ditches to get out and go around the barricades. And I wasn't, you know, they weren't stopping me. Right. So uh, we headed toward um, 1764, which is a major highway that runs between Texas City and um, Santa Fe. And we had the conversations like, where do we go? You know, what's the best choice with the hospitals around here? Um, so we knew they'd just finished building that hospital at League City and we thought it'd be the best, closest place to go. Right. So I headed that way and um, I'm going down the center lane passing everybody and uh, there's hundreds of cars coming the other way at high speed. Police cars? Police from every city and jurisdiction around there. And I'm going towards them. You know, they're like, I don't know how people didn't wonder, you know, is this is a this guy we should be chasing this guy? Yeah. Is this the guy, is he fleeing? <laughs> yeah. 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 Because nobody knew. Banda wasn't able to get onto the radio and tell them about flow. Because of the radio traffic. Yeah. And he did say he tried to put it out there that I just put a teacher in a car and they're leaving out the back. He told me that. But he couldn't get on the radio because everybody was on the radio. Yeah. Mm. And nobody's paying attention to people leaving the school. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so as you it's a bizarre, bizarre thing yeah. to think about, you know. So as you're leaving though, do you see any medical assets yet? No. Any ambulances or anything like that yet? No. And we're talking about from, so do we have a roundabout idea of when the first shot was fired? What time? Seven, well, 7.30, I'd 7.30. say. She called you at what, 7.36? 7.34, 5. 7.34, so a couple of minutes after. The, the thing about the timeline is, so he goes into the art rooms. He's able to shoot all of the students before he shoots Ann, Flo, and John. So he's already killed everybody else. So all of that transpired all the taunting, all of the going between rooms back and forth and shooting them in the closet, all of that transpired before. Then the alarm is pulled. That took his attention away from the kids in the art rooms and now his attention is in the hall. So that's when he starts shooting down the hall is because he hears the fire drill. He knew that now he's got more victims he can shoot. He's got these trapped in a barrel and then he's got new ones crossing his path. Because someone pulled the because someone pulled the, the alarm. alarm right, and so then he shoots Ann, and then he shoots Flo, and then he shoots John Barnes, 
And from that point forward, he didn't kill anybody else. They're the last. Do we know why? Because once John Barnes interacted with him, right, his attention was then down the hall. He, he never actually was able to go. The kids were already barricaded in. A lot of them escaped out the back door that they pried open. He had no more victims to shoot. Yeah. yeah. And we all know, and you know this, we talk about this, anytime they're confronted by law enforcement, they're either cowards and they kill themselves, or it does stop the shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need as quick as possible, right, is to confront them. Right. But we also need to save the victims that are bleeding to death while he's being confronted. Yeah, you know, I, I get a bad rap because I always talk about, you know, we have to have a controlled response. It's got to be very orchestrated. Um, you know, in alert training and, and other active shooter trainings, rule number one is you don't wait. You go in, you stop the killing, or you at least isolate the shooter, which stops the killing. One way or another, you, you stop that killing, right? And um, what we see and have seen in multiple cases over the last many years is that law enforcement, everyone wants to run to that shooter, right? And we fail to understand that you have a duty and an obligation to render aid to victims as well. Um, you know, part of rendering aid, the initial step to that is assessing that person, you know, checking their vitals. Um, I'm certain that if someone would have assessed Flo's uh, vitals and checked to see if she was breathing, if she had a pulse, whatnot, assessed her, her wounds, uh, she would not have lost as much blood. Uh, perhaps they could have applied a tourniquet, packed a wound, uh, communicated, whether it be verbally or over or non-verbally that you had a victim and a live victim there rather than just assume that she was dead. And you know, it's easy for me to point fingers. I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not you know, passing blame, but it just seems to be the narrative is that we're, um, you know, everybody's going to the problem, right? Everyone's going to the shooter. We, we were neglecting these other duties. You know, I think uh, one of the other realities is that uh, in the majority of these cases, what we've seen is that um, you know, law enforcement responds and then medical responds, but in a lot of times, medical is not entering the facility until law enforcement renders it safe unless they have you know, some type of rescue task force, which I really encourage everyone, every police department needs to be part of a rescue task force. Start getting your medics involved, uh, going in with your active shooter teams or with your first responding officers, uh, being that, that trailing element. Uh, you don't have to be on point, but be that trailing element from a medical perspective. As the, as the point is moving through that facility, clearing that building, finding that shooter, isolating him or her, then you're just picking up the slack and starting to render aid to those who need to be rendered to, right? And so um, it's a... I think it's, um, it's an evolution of tactics that we need to see. And so um, getting back on track, so you're headed out 1764 to League City to the Uni- University of Texas Medical Branch's new campus. You get there. What was the response from medical professionals as you arrive? I'm assuming you went through the ER. Yeah. Okay. So we pull up to the ER. I slide in, you know, and hit the brakes, and I jump out. And there's people just walking in to work that morning, just getting there, and they got their coffee and their briefcase. And I'm yelling, I need help, I need help. My wife's been shot, right? They were Johnny on the spot. Yeah. I'll tell you that. So they jumped into you know, overdrive and helped get her out of the car, put her on the gurney, and uh, got to her attention immediately. They had not been warned. They did not know they would have victims from a mass shooting. It hadn't even made it on the news yet. As we're getting there, Life Flight's just now leaving to go get John Barnes. So we make it all the way to the hospital before they you even get a call that before, we need help. You make it to the hospital before John, John is even transported. Yeah. Wow. Because if you hear his story, he's out in an ambulance out front, and they're trying to stop the bleeding and, um, you know, give, putting 
he'd already gotten a tourniquet from um, from Gary Ford. Right. Uh, and, and so what Johnny Banda did and what Gary Ford did was against training. Both yeah. of them will tell you that. That Johnny was not supposed to leave his post. He was not supposed to help flow until it was over. Right. And Gary was not supposed to drag uh, John Barnes John. to safety. And John even told him, go back. Yeah, but John would have died. He was dead almost already, right? Yeah. And, um, and after he did get help and some the other officers helped, you know, Gary went back and was talking to the shooter and was, you know, yeah. interacting with him. So we do know from a fact that if you do get immediate attention, that you can be saved. Yes. And so that makes us think about Ann, who's laying there next to Flo uh, and talking with her daughter. I do know, you know, when her uh, heart finally quit beating, which was, you know, after I got there, um, if maybe if they had checked her and she still had a heartbeat, they could have put her in the back of one of the trucks and took her to an ambulance. They could have done anything to save her. We don't know. There's too many we don't knows and what ifs, so right? So you, you, the shots, let's say, roughly start at 7.30. You get the call at 7.34, 7.35. What time do you think you arrived there? I think we left at 7.45, around there to go to the hospital. Wow, so, so you got there really fast. Yeah, really fast. Got her in the car. Johnny Band is a hero. Um, We're out of there. You're out of there in 10 minutes. You're headed to the hospital. But you're saying that based upon the information provided to you by Ann's daughter on her Apple Watch, yeah. that her heartbeat didn't stop until, what, 7? Around 7.50. 7.50. Yeah, final heartbeat. So we're looking at about a 20 minutes, 20, 16 to 20 minutes, she had been shot and wounded. There's a potential that if she had gotten medical attention, she might have lived. I mean, I don't want to speculate. We don't know. We don't know. We have no way of knowing, yeah. right? We, we don't know what her wounds were. But we assumed know? that she we died instantly. Heartbeat. That's what yeah. has been assumed, right? Right. That she died on impact. And that's what's so sad that you don't have the autopsy reports. You don't know. Well, hopefully her. now uh, with the passage of, of HB 435, um, and thank you and Flo and, and the others, Rosie and the others, for really pushing the legislation to get that to where these victims' families can, can access that data now um, because that's part of the healing process. Yeah. And so hopefully, I think her husband's name is Steve, correct? Yes. Hopefully Steve Perkins and, and, and their you know, children can have some peace of mind uh, knowing you know, what her wounds were. And, and you know, I don't know, I mean, it's, uh, I don't wanna speculate, but if, if you know, you're being told that her heartbeat was still beating up at least until 750, it makes you wonder if she had gotten that treatment or attention right away from those officers on the exterior of the building, could she have survived? I think it's safe to say maybe, without not without knowing what actual wounds that right. she had, you know. But um, you know, for a heartbeat to continue to beat for another 15, 16 minutes after a wound, it's probably a pretty good likelihood that she might have been able to survive. Um, so, I um, I'm hoping that they can, you know, get some peace and that they can get some answers uh, through HB 435. SB 435, yeah. Is it SB? SB. No, I'm sorry, SB 435. Yeah. Um, so that's a great piece of legislation that, um, you know, we in this space and you guys as being victims um, have got to, you know, be very proud of uh, that you guys have advocated for with uh, Senator Mays Middleton who's a personal friend of all of ours. Yeah. Um, he's well, I can tell you how that happened, how it all came about, mm -hmm. was because of Steve and because of Rosie. Because seeing what they were going through, not getting answers, not getting closure, all the what ifs. Um, I started working with Mays in 2019. He asked me, what can I do to help? And um, he wrote this House bill when he was uh, in the House State representative, rep. right? Yeah. And so um, several of us went and testified on it in that session. 
and it really didn't get any traction. It didn't, you know, get past the uh, us testifying on it. Mm -hmm. So it never got voted out of the committee. And <clears throat> so fast forward, when he gets elected, he runs for senator, for our senator. And um, he's like, hey, Scott, you know, I want to redo this and put it through the Senate now. I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's get it done. So we started meeting with other representatives, and we started, we had a big meeting in Austin with some of the families and to support it. And so uh, he wrote the bill, and it's, it's crazy the life that a bill has and takes. And, and I would never want anybody to go through what we went through just to get this to pass, right? right? So um, we go and testify on it, and it's written just like it's passed now, but that's not how it happened in the middle. So in the middle, it was sabotaged and it was pulled. The wording was changed, and it was going to be just for victims of Santa Fe, basically. No right. other uh, crime would it apply to. There was people who were testifying on the bill that day that it would have helped, the original wording, and then they had to change their testimony to not support the bill now. So they went from supporting it in the, in the House to not supporting it in the Senate, and so it became a really big political football. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that um, you guys got it there. I know that for people like, you know, and I don't know Mr. Perkins personally, but I do know Rosie very well. We're, we have become really close friends. And uh, I just um, know that, I mean, last night she, you know, texted me, like I said, multiple times. She was just yeah. elated that finally she's going to be able to get some resolution and some answers to how her son died. And uh, could he have been saved? Uh, you know, was it a fatal uh, uh, wound? Uh, did he suffer? Did he not suffer? Um, yeah. And so I'm really happy uh, for not only the victims of Santa Fe, but for other victims. And we know there's going to be future victims because this is not going to right. end um, today. Uh, in fact, it's progressively getting worse. But now knowing that people will have the ability to access those records for their own mental well-being is huge. And so thank you guys for you know, fighting alongside Rosie and Steve and, and others. Uh, it means a lot. And I know that um, you know, there's a lot of work left to do. Um, I, I uh, give you my word that I will continue to fight doing these things until it's, until it's fixed. And if we've got to speak out loud, if we've got to be that, that uh, squeaky wheel, then we just become that squeaky wheel uh, because um, innocent people are dying because of an ever-growing and violent society, but a political system that is dividing us rather than uniting us. Um, and so, you know, it's gonna take subject matter experts like myself and the team that I have and then what I would consider you guys as being subject matter experts also because of your experience to come together and work and continue to fight this fight and not allow divisive politics to prevent things from getting done because uh, it's our kids that are dying it's our spouses and friends that are getting shot and um, that are subject to some of these hostilities towards them in uh, public education. And um, not only for, uh, for the students, but for the staff. I mean, Flo's a substitute teacher. Ann was a substitute teacher. Ms. Tisdale, substitute teacher. We have a duty and an obligation to teachers to make sure that they're in a safe environment, not just to the students, but to teachers and those that are responsible for educating Americans, and American youth, and, and Texas, Texas's youth. Um, so thank you for continuing to fight. Um, any last words? Anything you want to address? Well, it takes a lot out of you. You know, you want to give up because you just have had enough. Sometimes you're like, nobody's listening. We're not getting any traction. We're no, you know, nothing is changing anything because mm -hmm. somewhere somebody is preparing for the next mass shooting, right? They're sitting there planning it, they're reading all of the Columbine doctrine, they're following it, they wanna be the next biggest mass shooter, you know, 
They want to go down in a blaze of glory, basically. So we know that's, that that's people are planning that right now, somewhere. And we know there's another one going to happen. And people who don't think it can happen are not living in reality because it's going to happen, and it can, and it will happen again. So that's what we keeps us going, right? And then you relax, and the next thing you know, then you have the Tennessee shooting, right? Then you have the one in Allen, um, and it just brings you right back into it again. You think you're, you know, relaxing and you're, you know, can go on vacation, but no, it ruins yeah. your vacations. What is some advice you would give to school districts um, that perhaps um, are not taking this as serious as they should? And I don't want to assume that they're not taking it serious, but there's this, um, this mentality amongst K-12 that um, you know it can't happen here. Exactly. We don't have those type of kids. Um, we don't have that type of community. What would you say to those people that think that way, that or, or that say that we just simply don't have the money? Um, what would you say to them that have that mentality, whether you know about their community or their kids, or that say they just don't have the money? What would you say to them? We all say the same thing, right? Couldn't happen in Santa Fe, little sleepy town, you know. Um, Look at New Valley, you know, just a quiet little town you drive through. Um, Parkland, a very upscale, you know, very uh, nice area. We visited Parkland. Um, it can happen anywhere, any moment with any child in any school district. And if you're not prepared and if you aren't awake and you don't see it coming, it's gonna, it's gonna devastate your lives. It's gonna take things from you that you never knew it was gonna take. And there is no going back once it happens. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. How important is that football stadium? How important is that AstroTurf? Is it more important than the kids going home safe at the end of the school year? That's what your priority has to be. You have to look within yourself and say, can I put off that AstroTurf one more year so I can put those cameras in? So I can tell those parents that you can drop your kid off and then I'm going to give them back to you at the end of the day, just like you left them. Right. I, I can't even follow up on that. That was perfect. So thank well, you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike, for right. having us. Yes, sir. Thank you for all your fighting that you're doing for Texas's Thanks kids. Thanks for being our friend. Yes, sir. Welcome.